Hello and thank you for joining us. You're listening to On Israel. This is Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. It took only 24 hours to put an end to months of speculation and assumptions about the Biden administration's expected foreign policy. And to answer the question of whether Joe Biden is more in, of an Obama than a Clinton. On Friday, the 26th of February, the Biden administration released an intelligence report blaming the Saudi crown prince for ordering the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. On Thursday, the 25th, the Biden administration ordered a military strike on Iranian targets in Syria. The administration is engaged in a careful balancing act. On the one hand, a conciliatory approach to the Arab world. On the other hand, an emphasis on human rights. On one hand, a desire to resume talks with Iran. On the other hand, a more militant approach that seeks to create credible deterrence in the Persian Gulf, probably the world's most volatile region these days. Biden's latest uh, actions were designed to signal both Tehran and Riyadh. While uh, they may reflect initial attempts by a new administration to feel its way within such a polarized arena, they have turned the Middle East into a bundle of nerves. In Riyadh, Tensions are running high as disappointment and concern mount. Tehran has responded by increasing its demands for agreeing to negotiations with the Americans and Europeans. In Jerusalem, sentiments alternate between anxiety and anger. Asked in an interview last week whether he trusts President Biden on the Iran issue, Prime Minister Netanyahu answered that he mostly trusts himself. Our guest today is one of the most foremost experts on relations between Washington and the Middle East. He has written for most Israeli media outlets, including the Jerusalem Post, Maari, Vidyotachonot, and Aritz. He served as policy advisor to three Israeli foreign ministers and as Israeli consul general in New York. Alon Pinkas, one of the most knowledgeable authorities on Israeli U.S. relations and Israel ties with the Democratic Party, join us right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, On Israel with Ben Caspit and On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. I would say uh, shalom to Alon Pinkas. Uh, welcome to our own Israel podcast. Hi, Alon. How are you? Hi, Ben. Good to be with you. Let's start with the latest developments. Uh, 
the lights in the palace in Riyadh and in the prime minister's office in Jerusalem have been burning late since the Americans issued the report that holds MBS responsible for the Khashoggi assassination. How do you explain the timing of the publication? After all, the report has been uh, ready for months. Yes. Well, it's not only has the report been ready for months, but most of it is based on intelligence that Turkey um, um, revealed about a year and a half ago. So there's nothing new in terms of the evidence, but, but, and this is a big but, uh, for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, to issue a report that begins with the, uh, uh, with, with the words, we assess, not we have confidence, not we believe, not based on the intelligence we gathered, but we assess is a very serious issue. Now, while the evidence against um, uh, Muhammad bin, bin Salman, MBS, is not new or is not exactly a, uh, an indictment, uh, this is a very important uh, document in terms of the timing, as you referred to in your question. And the timing, I think, has to do more than anything with two things. Um, the ongoing negotiations or the drafting of policy in Washington about how the U.S. and, and, and in what sequence the U.S. will re-enter the JCPOA, also known as the Iran nuclear deal. And I think that this report suppresses or at least restrains and quiets down Saudi opposition to it. Um, and secondly, it's a balancing act on a very, very um, a tenuous relationship that exists in the last several years uh, between the US and the, and the Saudis. And it began uh, in the late uh, uh, Bush administration, went on for eight years under Obama. There was a change under Trump, but now with Biden, it's back to the uh, um, reassessment or as he calls it, recalibration. I think this, this is a clear message to the Saudis uh, that, that, you know, the reality of the relationship and the, uh, the contents of the relationship as you think you know it no longer exist. We need to uh, recalibrate this, quote, unquote. And so in that respect, I think the timing is critical. Also, MBS in himself is in a hospital. He had an appendicitis uh, removal operation. And Biden, ahead of the, of the publication of the report, called King Salman, of Saudi Arabia, and according to American reports, insisted that MBS not be on the phone call. So I think that in terms of his own political fortunes, uh, while the Americans did not impose a, um, a travel restriction or deny him a future visa, I think they're out to weaken him significantly. The greatest uh, nightmare in Israel, not only in Israel, maybe uh, also in Saudi Arabia, Egypt, the Gulf, and elsewhere, is a return to the Obama-era policy that placed a premium on human rights and political correctness. As far as Israel and its Sunni Muslim allies are concerned, such policy has no place in the chaotic deserts of the Middle East. How do you see Biden's policy in this regard? Okay. Um, Jamal Khashoggi was not just another Arab whose human rights were deprived and was assassinated because someone didn't like him. Jamal Khashoggi uh, was a journalist for the Washington Post 
that, that is owned by Jeff Bezos, who's, who also owns Amazon. The Saudis then threatened, after assassinating Khashoggi, they also threatened Bezos, allegedly tapped or hacked his phone, uh, threatened a boycott of Amazon, which employs over a million employees in the US. Uh, this, is not, this, this is not something that has to do with a return to a human rights-based, or as you said correctly, putting a premium on a human rights-based foreign policy, but more so it is individually directed at uh, um, MBS. And I, I'm going to uh, uh, repeat what I said a few moments ago and tell the Saudis, gentlemen, with all due respect, you got this strategic equation wrong and upside down. You need us, we don't need you. This, this myth that you could do whatever you want because we need you to counter or, or confront Iran is wrong. You need us to confront Iran. What you've been doing in Yemen is inexcusable. It's got nothing to do with human rights. It's got everything to do with foreign policy stupidity. And there is a, um, an apprehension or an anxiety in the US that, by the way, that existed in the Trump administration too, but the, the Biden is not inventing anything we didn't hear about. There is an anxiety that the Saudis will try to drag the U.S. into another war in the Middle East, uh, obviously against Iran. I don't see that happening, but I, but I understand where this is coming from. I've heard this a few times myself from members of Congress, from people who used to work at the State Department or the uh, Pentagon. And so I don't think this is a return to Obama era policies. I think this is just a reassessment of the relationship with the Saudis who really got on American nerves in the last few years. Alone, let's try to get into Benjamin Netanyahu's head. And you know, you know the guy. You've been, uh, once you've been- Not, uh, not, not as well as you do. <laughs> yes, we, we share the, the same knowledge, I think. But he, he thinks about this MBS, uh, which is uh, Israel's maybe most important uh, ally in the, in the Middle East right now a very uh, strong ally confronting Iran, the nuclear threat, the new relationship, the strategic, uh, the Abraham Accords, et cetera, et cetera. He, he also met him. And suddenly his, his biggest allies in Washington are marking uh, uh, MBS because, you know, an incident that occurred a few years ago, and it's not very, you know, it's, it's a bad incident, but is this a reason to throw him under the, the the, 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 the bus, like, like we used to say. No, 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 not at all. <clears throat> Look, in and of itself, it's a very nasty uh, incident. But the Americans also believe in realpolitik, uh, as they say, as they call it in German. Uh, they know where their allies are and they know what they need to do. And what they're doing is balancing um, an equation that was tilting pro-Saudi. The Saudis get involved in Yemen and drag the Americans the Saudis threaten Iran and drag the Americans. The Saudis get, get into a bar brawl, a stupid fist fight in a bar with, the, uh, with Qatar, and, and they're asking for America's help. Someone in America, at least in this administration, has grown tired. Now, in terms of uh, Mr. Netanyahu, yes, you're right. But if Mr. Netanyahu is, is you know, is, is uh, um, honest with himself and, and, and thinks straight, he knows that Saudi Arabia's contribution to confronting Iran is, um, is less than optimal, not because they don't want to, but because they cannot. And what they can do is all based on American technology. 
And so uh, Mr. Netanyahu is going to have to um, uh, uh, reforge or, or, or rekindle this relationship with MDS with one and a half eyes looking at how people react to it in Washington in the event that Mr. Netanyahu remains for, uh, prime minister after the March elections. I don't know that. I don't know otherwise. I'm just saying we don't know. But assuming he remains... No one knows it <laughs> right now. Right. Assuming he remains prime minister for the sake of our conversation, um, anything he does with the Saudis has to be done with full transparency with the Americans. Um, and this is, this is a very hard task for Mr. Netanyahu to accomplish, given that his standing in this new administration is not uh, the best, to say the least. To close this uh, Saudi issue, I'll ask you one more question. The Saudis are clearly expecting Israel to shield them from uh, certain aspects of the new White House policy, as you just uh, described it. But can Netanyahu, in your opinion, deliver such cover now that Trump no. is no longer there? No, I think that even under Trump, he could not deliver. I mean, Trump's relationship with the Saudis or Jared Kushner's relationship with the MBS, with Mohammed bin Salman, was transactional. It was arms deals for, um, um, for regional stability. Um, you may like it, you may dislike it, but it wasn't, it wasn't a real alliance. What you have now in Washington is a Democrat in the White House, and at least for the next two years, Democrats control the Senate, Democrats control the House of Representatives. And MBS has just been uh, uh, blemished by this report. I fail to see how Mr. Netanyahu, uh, somewhat unpopular in all three branches, the White House, the, the House, and branches of the executive, the, the House and the Senate, um, I fail to see how he can deliver. He lost all his levers of power. Uh, there was a time back in the 90s, as you remember, when Clinton was president and Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House of Representatives. And again, when the, in, in, in after 2008, when Mr. Obama was president and, and uh, uh, John Boehner was the Republican uh, Speaker of the House, where Netanyahu could play games in Washington the way he likes. He always almost in, in, invariably lost, but he liked to play the game. Right now, he doesn't have the opportunity to play that game because he's got, yeah, he can go to Republicans and, and risk further alienating himself from the administration. Yes, he can go to Republicans in the Senate and the House and risk Israel even deeper becoming a wedge issue between the two parties, something that all prime ministers before him were very, very sensitive and, and aware not to do. I fail to see how he can promise anything to the Saudis. Maybe we can summarize this issue uh, saying the rules of the game were changed. There is a new uh, sheriff in town and we, we, you all have to cope with it. And Netanyahu was asking an interview. I'll, I'll, remind, you, I'll remind you of what uh, Vice President Spiro Agnew said. Uh, the bastards changed the rules and no one told me. No one told me. Netanyahu alone was asked in an interview last week in Israel whether he trusts President Biden. He answered that he trusts himself. What yeah. do you make of this uh, ambiguity? It was also reflected in the fact that uh, President Biden waited four weeks before making his first uh, phone call to Netanyahu, although Netanyahu was the first uh, Middle East leader that got the call. Yeah, but I think that Mr. Netanyahu doesn't think of himself as a local regional leader. He thinks of himself much more than that. Of course. Uh, which leads us to, in my mind, a very silly uh, question. 
When, when a prime minister of Israel is being asked, if do you trust the president of the United States? He, he should say immediately, yes, I absolutely trust the president of the United States. That doesn't mean that I may not disagree with him. That doesn't mean that I uh, uh, don't need to confront him. Hopefully not, but that could happen. But do I trust him? Absolutely. Specifically, if we're talking about someone like Joe Biden, who has an impeccable record of pro-Israeli actions, statements, and votes in 36 years in the Senate and eight years as a vice president. Uh, this was Mr. Netanyahu's narcissistic sides talking, not, not his uh, geopolitical or strategic uh, um, uh, thinking. Yes, and we, hope, we all hope we not pay a price for this because it, it will be paid from our pocket. I want to ask you in a, a, a different issue. We're, we're coming, going into the, the Iranian uh, nuclear program now. You signed a document issued last week yeah. by uh, an organization called Commanders for a Secure Israel that urged Netanyahu to cooperate with the new administration on an improved nuclear deal yes. with Iran. Netanyahu, meanwhile, has uh, added two, uh, two former national security advisors to his team, Amidror and Nagel. Both are defense hawks and like the prime minister, they reject any nuclear agreement with Iran. How do you see this potential clash? Uh, obviously, Mr. Netanyahu had another option. He could have appointed the head of the Mossad Yossi Cohen and for his own reasons, chose not to. Um, not, Mr. Amidror is an expert on Iran. Mr. Nagel is not an expert on Iran. So I, I don't know what the, uh, what, what exactly the good cop, bad cop is a routine is going to uh, um, um, take, take shape here. Mr. Netanyahu, if you recall, and I'm sure you do, Ben, you wrote a lengthy and important book about Netanyahu. Mr. Netanyahu had the opportunity in 2013, again in 2014, and most definitely in, in, in very early 2015 to somehow influence the, uh, uh, the shaping and the wording of the original JCPOA. Um, the crucial year was 2014, where he chose to uh, confront uh, Obama on a whole host of issues having nothing to do with Iran, expanding settlements, building freezes, and so on. He had the opportunity, he was offered a much bigger uh, defense deal with the US, which in the end was $38 billion over 10 years, reminding our listeners that the vice president at the time was Joe Biden. And I think that Mr. Netanyahu is very close to making that same mistake again. He has an opportunity now um, to work discreetly and quietly with the administration, to say what he doesn't like, to contribute what he thinks needs to be done. Some of Mr. Netanyahu's um, reservations in 2014 and 2015 about the JCPOA were absolutely right and correct. But instead of trying to influence how they are being uh, um, written inside the room, he chose to stand out the room and scream and shout and put on a grandstanding show. I hope he doesn't do that again. And by appointing Mr. Amidro and Mr. Nagel, um, although these two gentlemen are very uh, soft-spoken relatively, so I don't know how much noise this is going to make, <clears throat> but the signal it sends to the administration is we're dead fast against this. Now, now convince us. The administration could come up with their own uh, um, ingenious conclusion. We don't need to convince you of anything. 
Fact is that the agreement, however imperfect, curbed Iran's nuclear program. Since the US unilaterally withdraw, Iran has times 12 uh, um, the amount of enriched uranium. So, so I don't need Mr. Nagel, I, I being the US, not me. I don't, we don't need the, U, the Mr. Nagel or Mr. Amidro or Mr. Netanyahu himself uh, for that matter to tell us what needs to be done. Again, you know, let me stress this, Ben. Netanyahu could have, af after the, uh, the unpleasant uh, episode of the call that didn't arrive, after the call had arrived, Mr. Netanyahu can invite himself to DC after the election. He could initiate a series of two, three phone calls between now and March 23rd and, and ask to speak to, to the president, speak to, to uh, Secretary Blinken, speak to uh, um, uh, the head of the CIA, the, the, uh, the Secretary of Defense, Floyd Austin, and, and, and even Rob Malley, uh, the, the US presidential envoy on Iran. Instead, he's sending uh, all kinds of proxies to say how unhappy he is. I don't know that this is good diplomacy. It's not only this, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, when Trump was uh, in, in the Oval Office, Netanyahu said a few times about the agreement, the nuclear agreement, uh, fix it or nix it. Now, right. now he's not saying fix it anymore. He was quoted uh, last week as uh, saying or thinking or, uh, or in, in close circuit saying, uh, no deal with Iran. Don't go okay. back to any deal with Iran. I think he's more hawkish now. Then he was uh, he's, uh, well, he's more hawkish because of the election. You know that Iran for him is, a, is an election uh, um, instrument and prop. Um, I, I, I don't question his belief that Iran uh, uh, presents a clear danger, but I think that he's using or abusing the issue of Iran for his own political purposes. But let me go back to what you just said. So here's the thing. Netanyahu, in March of 2015, does something that no Israeli prime minister dared to do before him, goes behind the President Obama and Vice President Biden's back to speak to Congress against the deal. In, it, in his speech in March of 2015, he says, and I'm quoting uh, from memory, so, so I may be wrong in, in, in a word or two, um, I've been told that, that it's either disagreement or war. I'm saying you're wrong. There is a better agreement, quote unquote. Later, he said, as you correctly uh, quote, uh, quoted him as saying, fix it or nix it. So here's the thing. He never presented a better deal, although he had ample time to do so. He never offered how to nix it. Uh, I'm sorry, how to fix it. And now he has an opportunity to fix it. Supposedly, uh, uh, Trump uh, withdrew unilaterally. Trump failed to offer anything instead of the agreement as a substitute policy or an alternative um, agreement. So now Netanyahu was actually handed the opportunity to tell the Americans what he thinks needs to be done. Instead, he's sending or may not send, may, was, didn't send, I don't know, you may know, the chief of staff of the IDF, uh, Lieutenant General Aviv Kohavi, to threaten the U.S. about how bad the agreement is without knowing yet what the Americans intend to do. By the way, be parenthetically, because they don't know yet. Um, and, and so I, I, I honestly don't, don't know what this fix it or nix it or better agreement means. One more thing, Ben. Um, about 10 days ago, there was a story that no one paid attention to 
for some reason, in which um, Khamenei, the supreme leader of Iran, right? Yeah. Uh, writes in his Twitter account that uh, uh, two or three months after uh, Trump withdrew from the agreement in 2018, May 2018, um, he, Khamenei, spoke to the French president, Emmanuel Macron, and Macron told him that Trump had told him the day before that if the Iranians are willing just to add one sentence to the agreement saying that we will discuss missile development and regional policies at a later date, he will return to the agreement immediately. Now, the Iranians did not, accept, according to Khamenei, he rejected the offer. Um, look, had they, had they accepted the offer and, 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 and Trump went back to the agreement, Mr. Netanyahu could have been presented with a much harsher reality than he is now. You know, I wanted now to ask you, how do you see the relationship with Washington playing out after having said all that? But I'm asking myself and you, Mr. Netanyahu is very smart, very experienced, very intelligent. He knows exactly the price he and the state of Israel paid for the mistakes he made in 2015. You just described it. He knew, he know that he could not get, I call it get into the room and, and affect the negotiation. And right, right now, instead of learning something from his mistakes, he still is preferring to stand outside the room and shout and yell uh, on everyone. Yeah. And is it really all because of the election uh, that for Netanyahu, it is an, an, an existential threat that 20, uh, March 23rd election can uh, bring uh, the end of the political career of Netanyahu and then you have the trial, etc. So everything is politics? Yeah, it is. You, you know that better than anyone. Um, it's, it's, it's all politics. It's all survival for him. Look, I, I, I honestly think he hates Democrats and hates American liberals and hates the progressive Jews and dislikes many in the Democratic congressional leadership. I believe him when he says he doesn't like them or when he thinks or what I think he thinks he doesn't like them. I, I also believe that in his, you know, deep down, he's always been much more sympathetic. And I think he admitted that to you, to me publicly many times. He's much more sympathetic to the Republican Party, except for two things um, that we must mention. The Republican Party that he has been affiliated with is not the Republican Party of today. The neoconservatives, the, the Newt Gingrich, the Bob Dole, the George H.W. Bush, the George Bush, uh, uh, these people are no longer in the Republican Party. The Republican Party now is a party um, that I just cannot see why Netanyahu in, in the world would be affiliated and, and uh, connected to. Which leads me to the second thing. Um, with ideology and, and, and uh, you know, sympathy aside, he's the prime minister of the state of Israel. I expect him to make smart decisions. It took decades of a lot of hard work to keep Israel out of uh, the American political discourse. We call it bipartisanship. Bipartisanship doesn't mean that both parties love you the same. It means that you, Israel, is not a wedge issue. It's not a dividing issue between the parties. And decades of diplomats and, and politicians and, and, and defense ministry officials uh, um, in Israel have worked to maintain that. 
Um, even when there was friction and confrontation between an Israeli prime minister and an American president, it was never because of uh, uh, party affiliation in the U.S. Or, or political preference. It was always substance and sometimes a personality clash. What Mr. Netanyahu has been doing for the better part of the last five years is forcing Israel to become a partisan issue in America. He's forcing Republicans, who are some of which are white supremacists and nationalists, to support Israel, even though they don't care much about Israel. And then forcing Democrats, Jews among them, uh, to distance themselves from Israel. Uh, that that I, I, I just fail to see how that would produce a smart policy or a smart result. By the way, finally, uh, when you were talking about the uh, Republican Party and mentioned a few names, you know, I think one of our colleagues, maybe Chaim Levinson in Haaretz today or yesterday, mentioned that the same process happened to Likud in Israel. Yes, he did. I read it today. Yes, he did. Um, right? Yeah. Become, look, it, it's become a cult. Uh, the Republican Party have become, uh, um, has become a cult. It lost its liberal um, and moderate wing of the Republican Party. And the same thing happened uh, with all due differences of political systems and personalities, but the same process um, um, happened here to, uh, to the Likud movement. From a basically um, right-wing, but, but essentially liberal, national liberal movement, it's become a Netanyahu cult, um, that if you take him out, it's, it's, a, it's an extreme right-wing party. Everyone who is either a moderate on the left-right uh, um, spectrum or, a, or a, a, a liberal on the liberal conservative spectrum left Likud. So actually where the fight, the political fight in Israel and the United States is, is less left against right and more liberals against conservatives. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, um, that is why I feel much more comfortable with a guy like Avigdor Lieberman, who until a few years ago was right wing and I would never consider voting for him. Although you and I know that, well, you and I both like him personally, but Avigdor Lieberman, and for that matter, Gidon Sal, two people who I have very little uh, um, in, in, uh, um, in common with on the left-right spectrum, I have, I have 90% things in common with them now because the left-right spectrum is no longer valid. It's pro-democracy, anti-democracy, liberal or not liberal. And this is the only game in town. Uh, Consul General Alon Pincas, it was very interesting. I thank you very much for joining, joining us and uh, we'll get to an, uh, one very short break. We'll be back here with some final thoughts. Thank you, Alon, and uh, see you. Thank you, Ben. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to 
those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Ambassador Alon Pincas says that the main reason for the Washington's surprising doubleheader in the last two days, I'm talking about posting the intelligence report regarding the Khashoggi assassination and simultaneously striking Iranian target in Syria, is simple. Making sure both sides, Tehran and Riyadh, and maybe even Jerusalem, fully understand that there is a totally new ball game with totally new rules and a new sheriff in town. Pincus uh, criticized Prime Minister Netanyahu's remark in an interview last week in Israel when he, uh, he was asked if he trusts President Biden and answered that he trusts mainly himself. Every responsible Israeli leader, when asked this question, says Pincus, have to answer only one simple answer. I may have disagreements from time to time with the president, but I absolutely and fully trust him as a true friend and ally of the state of Israel. The Netanyahu answer, according to Pincus, was either political or narcissistic. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, see you here next Monday, Monday in On Israel. I am Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care. Be safe. Bye-bye.